Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Enemy on Sirius XM. Thank you, Chuck and Flav. I'm not tired of our opening theme yet. Welcome. This is Tell Me Everything. It's the night spot here on Progress After Dark, and we're so glad to have you with us for the next three hours. We're going to be coming at you with facts and empathy and truth and good music and, and bring you to the edge of feeling entertained. 866-997-4748 is our number for the next few hours. Our most important guest, as always, you, but we got some great ones tonight. Uh, John Nichols of The Nation brought receipts on Biden's union support versus whatever it is Donald Trump was pretending he was doing in Michigan last night. Also, a great panel on progressive Christianity and how you can use the Bible, whether you're a believer or not, to fight against Christian nationalism and creepy fake Christian fundamentalists. I've said it before, I'll say it again, some of the best Christians I know are atheists. Because it all comes down to how you treat others, doesn't it? Not how much you pretend to jump through hoops. Also, we're going to have our own producer, Thea Harper, with the Minority Report. Chris Hauselt, our executive producer, running this thing out of South Carolina. And man, what a day we've had. Apparently, the closed-door meeting between the House GOP leadership got heated and tense, and Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy were screaming at each other. So in other words, it was Thursday. We found out glaciers in the Swiss Alps have shrunk by 10% in the last two years. Actor Michael Gambon has died aged 82. He took over the role of Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movie, Sir Richard Harris, after he died. So you know right now, someone on the internet is claiming that the role of Dumbledore is cursed because men in their 80s keep dying after playing him. God bless Michael Gambon. What a great actor. Check him out in Layer Cake opposite Daniel Craig. What a great actor. Uh, and, and of course, we have all the hot news on uh, the House impeachment inquiry. Today is the birthday of some friends of this show. Janine Garofalo, happy birthday. Mira Sorvino, happy birthday. And Phoebe Robinson, hope you had a great one. It's also the 99th birthday of Marcello Mastroianni, who classed up so many Fellini films. And there's lots of music history and American history we're going to go through all night. Lots to discuss, lots to make fun of, because remember, at the end of every day in America, the truth is there's shit that must be mocked. Oh, and by the way, uh, in case you're worried about student loan payments or 
paying for your family's medical bills or surgeries in case you're you're really worried about guns in your kid's school or the fact that it's getting warmer and the hurricanes are getting fiercer and there's flooding. The Senate voted unanimously to reinstate the formal dress code. So democracy is safe and so is your family. Good God almighty on a pogo stick. Let's do a show. Last night's Republican Party debate, the second Republican Party debate of this election cycle to feature no Donald Trump on stage, gave us the lowest ratings for any Republican debate since Donald Trump first became a candidate back in 2015. With that in mind, it's time to play Thirsty Thursday, because every Thursday we look at who is desperate to get attention. Although this week it's a bit different. Who's desperate to get attention to distract from the stuff they should be getting attention for. And I know I just ended a sentence with a preposition, but ending a sentence with a preposition is not something I have a problem uh, with. Mm. So Donald Trump, he's making a lot of noise today to distract you from the stuff he doesn't want you talking about. Uh, He's fighting the New York judges finding this week that he committed fraud by artificially inflating his property values or artificially deflating his property values, saying whatever he had to to banks or insurers to make more money off of both. He's pointed out that Mar-a-Lago is worth more than a billion dollars, but turns out uh, the messenger obtained some tax records from uh, Palm Beach County in 2020, where Trump agreed his club, his retirement home, where Secret Service have to pay for golf cart rentals. (laughs) And by Secret Service, I mean you. His club should be valued only at $26.6 million. The petitioner agrees with the determination of the property appraiser or tax collector. I went to public school, guys. Help me out. I, I believe $26 million is somewhat less than $1 billion. And this happened, well, because Donald Trump was trying to save a buck a couple of years ago. He tried to uh, technically classify Mar-a-Lago as a social club. He made this deal back in 1995 to get tax benefits instead of calling it a private residence. And during that time, he listed Mar-a-Lago as worth $490 million on financial documents. So you're playing there? In trying to defend himself from his lies about inflating his assets in New York, we found out in Florida he said his house was worth $490 million in 1995. Three years ago, he said it was worth $26.5 million. Today, he says it's worth a billion. I know, right? Dude lies about size. You knew it. Also, news he wants to distract from, uh, Ivanka Trump. I don't know if you remember her, but she's one of the Trumps who's set to be put on the witness stand during uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James's $250 million civil fraud suit against Donald Trump and his family, which starts next week. They put out the witness list, 28 names, and uh, there she is, Ivanka and Trump himself and Eric and Don Jr. and uh, our friend Michael Cohen as well. And Trump Organization executives Jeffrey McConney and Alan Weisselberg, who I hope shows up in court showing off his new collection of prison gang tattoos. Here's the funny thing about Ivanka. She was originally going to be tried with Trump and her brothers. And then they said, no, we're not going to we're not going to indict her. We'll indict the other ones, but not her. And now she's called as a witness. I don't think she's flipped. I just want to hear Trump say he doesn't think his daughter's flipped on him. Also, Trump's trying to distract from the fact that he pretty much in his career as a stochastic terrorist, which he's good at. Not, I mean, he's, you know, his main career is hat salesman at this point. But stochastic terrorist, he's he's racking up the points. And at some point, someone's going to get killed by a Trump supporter because of things like saying that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff 
is a traitor, and in times gone by, the punishment would have been death. How deranged. After what happened on January 6th, he's actually suggesting that General Mark Milley, for telling the truth, is deserving of death. This is the leader of the party. These are all things Donald Trump needs to distract you from, which is why he flew to Detroit to pretend he cares about striking workers. Here's a clip at his pretend union event last night in Michigan. Uh, Here is Donald telling a room full of everybody except UAW workers just how much he loves UAW workers. I side with the auto workers of America and with those who want to make America great again, and I always will. And I don't get one thing. I don't get why Ford and GM, why these car makers aren't fighting for to make cars that are going to sell, to make cars that are going to be able to go on long distances. They immediately give up. I see it with the oil companies, too. They're promoting windmills, which don't work, by the way, but they don't work. They want windmills all over the place. It's like they're told what to do, and that's what they go against their industry. They're either stupid or they're gutless. Okay, um, folks, for you in the back, Ford and GM don't make windmills. They make cars, and they sell cars, and they're making electric cars because in this system we've all agreed on called capitalism, supply and demand are things. And the amount of people who want to buy an electric car is not going to go down in the coming decades as the effects of climate change become more and more apparent and more and more costly. And Donald Trump's big lie is that he's there to support the UAW. He's not. He says he's there to support them because Joe Biden wants to get rid of gas-powered cars and have electric cars, and that's bad for them. But in reality, folks, he's management all the way. He does not support the union in this strike. And he won't say it, and he won't have to, because no journalist will ever get close enough to him to ask him that question. So imagine how disappointed I am at the New York Times, which went ahead and announced in a headline that Trump was going to be speaking to uh, current and former union members. Trump, quote, has scheduled a primetime speech at an auto parts manufacturer. Their original headline never mentioned it was a non-union auto parts manufacturer. It didn't mention that there will be no union members attending a speech at a non-union company in the middle of a strike at a company owned by an anti-union manufacturer. Thank God for the backlash from the readers of the New York Times, because they turned it around. They acknowledged that Donald Trump's speech would take place at a non-union plant. And man, people were furious. One poster on Twitter said, when you cancel your New York Times subscription, tell them it's because their reporter lies to whitewash for Trump. Not a union shop, not union workers. And some attendees at Trump's speech about the auto worker strike yesterday were apparently shills carrying signs falsely identifying themselves as union members, according to the Detroit News. The actual union told Donald Trump to stay what union people call the fuck away from their picket lines because he serves the billionaire class. And again, look, I love the New York Times, but let's not forget, it's the same New York Times that for years has lied that Donald Trump won in 2016 because he had working class supporters who had economic anxiety. I mean, they're they're still pushing this one. Hillary Clinton won union household in 2016. And Hillary Clinton won Americans who make less than $50,000. Okay? That's what happened. So let's talk about another kind of Thirsty Thursday and distractions. Uh, From Trump to the Congress. Because the clock is ticking. The government shutdown is 
I mean, pretty much certain at this point. And we're all wondering, will they be able to cut any kind of deal before midnight on October 1st? The House is working minute by minute to try to pass some spending bills. I don't think they're going to make it. And I know we've been through this before, but a government shutdown will impact the largest food assistance programs in this country. Any preschool that's funded by the government, federal college grants and loans, food safety inspections, national parks will close down. Military members won't get their checks. If you're a federal worker and you don't know what the future holds, um, Congress doesn't know either. They can't tell you beyond the next two days, but they are racing towards a shutdown. And it's getting harder and harder every hour to see how they're going to find their way out of this Michigas. So let's have an impeachment inquiry hearing. Did you watch any today? Oh, my God. It was a masterclass in how not to distract people. And yet, ironically, it did. And let me explain. Republicans are zeroing in on on basically four lines of questions about Joe Biden's connection with his son's foreign business dealings. None of this pertains to anything he did while he was president. They're trying to impeach him for stuff he did while he was vice president a decade ago. And Axios laid out the main questions they're asking. Did Biden take official action or change a policy because of money or other things of value given to his family by foreign interests? It's a fair question. Did Biden abuse his office by providing foreign interests with access to him and his office in exchange for money? It's a great question. Did Vice President Biden abuse his office of public trust by participating in a bribery scheme to enrich himself or his family? Solid question. We deserve answers. Did Vice President Biden 10 years ago abuse his power as president to hinder investigations or the prosecution of his son, Hunter? And did he do it as president? Well, they're all fair questions. Now... Here's Jamie Raskin, friend of this show, summing up the entire impeachment inquiry in one easy to digest minute of your time. President Biden, if the Republicans had a smoking gun or even a dripping water pistol, they would be presenting it today. But they've got nothing on Joe Biden. All they can do is return to the thoroughly demolished lie that Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump launched five years ago. The Burisma conspiracy theory, a fairy tale so preposterous that one of its main authors, Lev Parnas, has now disowned and repudiated it. This is the theory that Vice President Biden, global anti-corruption groups, and most Western governments targeted Ukraine Prosecutor General Shokin for removal because he was threatening the Burisma Corporation, whose board Hunter Biden served on. Trump synthesized the lie in his August 27th post about President Biden, saying, look, the guy got bribed, he paid people off, and he wouldn't give $1 billion to Ukraine unless they, quote, got rid of the prosecutor. Trump's story is the opposite of the truth. Yeah, President- and I mean, even Fox News had to admit that this week. The prosecutor was corrupt. That's why all the world's governments wanted him gone. This might shock MAGA folk, but the American vice president doesn't have the power to fire foreign leaders on his own. I know, right? Uh, that was as good as it got today. You know, they they brought in Jonathan Turley, their star legal expert, the guy they brought in for Trump, the guy that Fox News pays. And Jonathan Turley said he sees no evidence to support impeachment. I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. He did say that he thought the House had passed the threshold for having an inquiry. He said, well, information could come out if you launch an inquiry. So maybe if you have an official probe, you'll you'll find something. 
that's as good as it got for evidence. I want to play you the best audio of the day, and it came from the woman they love to hate. New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, during the impeachment inquiry, asks James Comer's gaggle of expert witnesses some very simple questions with extremely simple answers. Listen and enjoy. Chair, now recognize Ms. Ocasio-Cortez for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Now, it has been repeated, and I would also like to repeat that the allegations being presented by the majority are extremely serious and the prospect of impeachment is also a gravely serious matter which has been echoed by our witnesses today and any serious impeachment investigation or inquiry relies on first-hand sworn testimony of witnesses to high crimes or misdemeanors today the republican majority has called in three witnesses to advance their case mr turley i have a simple question is. for you in your testimony today are you presenting any first-hand witness account of crimes committed by the President of the United States? No, I'm not. No, you are not. Ms. O'Connor, you are the second uh, Republican witness here today. Have you, in your testimony, presented any first-hand witness account of crimes committed by, pre by the President of the United States? I have not. Thank you. Now, Mr. Dubinsky, as the third and final Republican witness, uh, in this hearing, have you, in your testimony, presented any first-hand witness account of crimes committed by the President of the United States? Uh, I have not. And Professor Gerhardt, uh, given that you are the minority witness, I assume the same, correct? I'm not a fact witness, correct. Thank you. And to clarify, two individuals presented today who do have first-hand accounts surrounding the progeny of these allegations are being blocked from testifying by the Republican majority. Nice. I mean, uh, accountant Bruce Dubinsky said more information needs to be gathered and assessed before I would make such an assessment. It, 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 it didn't go well. But again, it didn't have to go well because the Republicans know it's nonsense. The Republicans know they're never going to have an impeachment of Joe Biden. This is all to fill up the headlines on conservative news so they could monologue. So Nancy Mace, who likes to pretend she's better than the rest of them, can monologue about this for hours. Here's the deal about Republicans, friends. If they had policies they wanted to do that would help non-millionaires, that's all they'd be talking about. If they had things they wanted to have the government do that would help non-millionaires better than the things the Democratic Party is doing to help non-millionaires, they'd talk about that. They don't, so they can't. So we get distractions like this. Jamie Raskin did his whole questioning with a countdown clock, a digital countdown clock, showing the time left until midnight on Saturday when our government shuts down. And they're doing this. The White House dismissed the whole thing as baseless. They even lost Fox News. I, I, I hope you're comfortable now. Here's the sweet part. Here is that beautiful bastard Neil Cavuto talking about how unremarkable today's inquiry was. All right. Uh, for the better part of six hours, uh, I have been following these hearings, save an hour off to do my Fox Business show earlier today. Uh, I don't know what was achieved over these last six plus hours. Welcome, everybody. I'm Neil Cavuto. I want to put in perspective here, though, and we are going to legally go through all the details. But uh, James Comer, the Oversight Committee chairman, had said that there would be presented a mountain of evidence against Mr. Biden. It was referring to President Biden. But none of the expert witnesses today presented 
yet any any proof for impeachment. Now, to be clear, this was not about impeachment. This is about launching an impeachment inquiry. But it is worth pointing out that none of the witnesses today were fact witnesses. That means that none were involved in the investigation into the alleged activities in the first place. What's more, none of the witnesses testified today of direct knowledge of what Republicans have been claiming about Joe Biden. In other words, that this, uh, the way this was built up, uh, where there's smoke, there would be fire. Again, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm going to be talking to some darn smart ones in a moment. But where there's smoke today, we just got a lot more smoke. Uh, we also... <laughs> Say that well, the it's, it's, could... it's it's almost like someone finally sued Fox News for lying and Fox had to cough up three quarters of a billion dollars and now they're terrified to spread falsehoods. Who knew this distraction of a hearing today? It didn't totally make the media forget the shutdown, but I'll tell you what it did. It drew almost all media attention away from what the Judiciary Committee was doing today in the House, where Republicans signed off on legislation designed to rig your court system and help Donald Trump get a white jury on an 18 to 15 party vote. There was a bill from Congressman Russell Fry in South Carolina, and the bill would allow any current or former president or vice president, if they're indicted, you know, think of all the presidents and vice presidents who've been indicted, all, all of, think of all those, all those men, that anyone who is indicted could bump a case filed against them in state court, into federal court, which is exactly what Donald Trump and Mark Meadows have been trying to do with the charges they're facing in Georgia. They want to be in federal court. They don't want to be in state court. They want a more white jury. And this bill was originally sparked by Trump's indictment by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. Now, Republicans keep using their majority to be Trump's unofficial defense team, as you know. But this... This, this is way more than rhetoric. I mean, they tried to expunge Trump's two impeachments and they failed with that. Now they're literally trying to write into the law that a president can't be charged by a state for a crime he committed in that state. It has to be bumped up into federal court. And again, never forget, this is about one thing, having a white or at least whiter jury. We got to take a quick break. Before I go, I want to mention um, a friend of this show, a guest we cherished, the great guitarist Al Miola, suffered a heart attack on stage while performing last night. Apparently, he is recovering. We send him our love and our hopes for a very swift recovery. And as we go to break, let me just remind you, politicians who are trashing union bosses, they're the politicians who are protecting the actual bosses. We'll be right back with the great John Nichols of the nation to talk all about Trump's little pantomime in Detroit. Don't go away. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. 
And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. His new piece in the nation. Oh, you got to read it. It's beautiful. Trump just showed how little he actually cares about the working class. The former president traveled to a non-union plant in Michigan to tell auto workers about their struggle for fair wages and a better future. Except he's completely on the side of management and lied to the TV audience he was really talking to about what the entire strike was about. John Nichols, welcome back to SiriusXM. Great to be with you, John. And great. Uh, I'm sorry to sorry to hear about Al Miola, who did uh, it was such a great player. I especially remember that I think we had an album about eighty eighty one with John McLaughlin that was just absolutely brilliant, like incredible yeah. interplay. So he was one of we'll our guests here in the first. Yeah, lovely, lovely artist and uh, and a lovely family, too. John, I, I'm so glad you were free to join us tonight because we had a couple of real historic firsts this week. We had the first time a sitting president has ever joined a picket line, and we had the first time a former president has ever pretended to join a picket line. Neither of those mm-hmm. things happened before this week. Let's let's start, obviously, with uh, Joe Biden. I, I, I've been doing monologues on this show about how Biden had to be there, how he had to be seen on the line. He had to actually be the first one to do it. I, I don't mind telling you I was a little bit skeptical it would happen. I cannot tell you how delighted I was to see it. What was that moment like for you? Oh, it's a big deal. You know, I, I grew up in a UAW town, right, or near Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I grew up knowing the uh, numbers of locals, UAW locals in my region and even around the country, local 72 in Kenosha, local 95 in Janesville, local 12 and local 14 in Toledo, uh, and local 174 in uh, near Willow Run in, in Michigan, because local 174 is the Walter Ruther local. It's the mm. local that Walter Ruther was president of back in 1936, 37, when they did some of the first sit-down strikes. I mean, this is literally where the UAW came from, one of the greatest unions uh, in the history of, of the world, a uh, union that went through some really tough things in some recent years, but yes. um, now back in the game, I think, in a very big way. And so for me, as somebody who's been around labor a lot, who's covered labor a lot, to have Joe Biden go to exactly the right local at exactly the right time and frankly say pretty much the right thing 
Uh, That's an amazing moment. It is it, it it's less about Biden than about where we have come to as a country where labor is now um, so renewed in popularity, not in membership. That's still a fight ahead, but so renewed in popularity with, you know, 60, 70 percent approval ratings that a president of the United States feels compelled to stand with labor. And exactly. Not that Biden didn't want to necessarily, but the politics for a long time was against it. Democratic exactly. strategists said, don't do it. This that, time, that's why, yes, it shifted. You you had a great piece in the nation. Seventy five percent of Americans side with striking UAW members just last week and that polling shows exceptionally wide support for the union's bold demands. And I couldn't agree with you more. Yes, I'm thrilled Biden went. But you're right. Even if he only went because of politics, that proves the real hero here is the American people who forced Joe Biden to show up and prove that he cared because it matters that much to the people. John, I mean, we're so inspired by everything we see from every Starbucks franchise that attempts to unionize, Mm -hmm. from all the gains we've seen. And of course, there have been plenty of setbacks as well this year. I mean, has this been as an historic year for the struggle for collective bargaining as it has seemed to be? Oh, yeah. No, this this is an epic struggle. Look what we've already seen. We've seen the Teamsters win a breakthrough contract. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a Teamster, a UPS driver yesterday. And, and you know, he was driving by just near my house. And he said, he said, he yelled out of the truck, did you see that contract, right? These members are excited about, you know, what, what they're achieving through collective action, through, you know, yeah. what, what unions are supposed to be about. Um, it's a lot tougher for the Starbucks workers uh, because frankly, there have been, there are so many barriers to organizing in retail and in, yes. you know, in in restaurant areas um it's a lot tougher for amazon workers because jeff bezos has literally thrown everything he can into stopping that union. absolutely but there's a lot going on and and what i would tell you is that the it's no surprise that the uaw strike is kind of the center of this all that this is this is where it all comes down to because if you know your labor history the uaw has since the 1930s kind of been uh you know the pivotal union not the only union. I don't hierarchize, you know, unions above one another. I, I, some of my favorite unions are very, very small unions that, that sure. have struggled and done great fights over over many decades. Unions like United Electrical, uh, which is one of the bravest, boldest unions in this country. But historically, the United Auto Workers has been the muscular union, the big union, the one that kind of set the tenor for the whole manufacturing sector. Yes. And as we said a moment ago, they've gotten knocked back on their heels by deindustrialization, by horrible trade deals, uh, by neglect from uh, Democratic and Republican administrations. They've had a lot of hits and they've had internal problems as well. So this has been a tough time. But now at this critical moment, they have come back with this incredibly bold strike, incredibly strategic, very well organized, very well done. And, you know, yeah, this is this is an epic moment. There will be Histories written about this exact moment. There will be chapters in books about the day that Joe Biden went to a picket line. The only question that remains now is whether those books are, you know, kind of epic tales of success or tragic tales of failure. We're on a knife's head. There's no guarantees here. It's not for sure that unions will prevail, but there is that possibility. And I will tell you, if we restore a strong, bold labor movement in this country, one that has, instead of about 10 percent, you know, organized, has roughly 25, 30 percent organized what you had during 
uh, the Roosevelt years and into the Eisenhower years, this will be a transformed country. I guarantee you this will be a country where workers get a better break, where the changes in our industries are more favorable uh, to the people who actually do the work, not just the CEOs and the investors. And frankly, yes. you'll get things like single-payer health care and free college. I hate to tell you, single-payer health care and free college do not come from elections. Single-payer right. and free college come if you've got a strong enough labor movement that then it can A, influence elections, yes, but B, if the if the elected officials don't do the job, can pull masses of people into the struggle and make demands that force presidents and members of Congress to do things. We also saw the end of the Writers Guild strike this week, yeah. which was wonderful news. Uh, my union, SAG-AFTRA, is, of course, still on strike. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing Joe Biden join those picket lines. I wish he would, but I think they'll try to avoid making him seem too Hollywood. But would you like to see, would you hope to see Joe Biden do this again before Election Day? Because I, I, it's, I, I have a hard time remembering in recent years when just a presidential appearance, words aside, just the images had mm-hmm. such incredible power. They're so sufficient in and of themselves, right? Those images yeah. of Biden taking selfies with the with the striking workers and putting his That's armor it. on that woman as they listened to Sean Fain deliver a, a very radical speech, a really excellent speech. So yeah, do I think Biden will do it again? I don't know. You know, the Biden administration wavers between boldness and caution I know, <laughs> all the time. I know. But I can tell you this, they need to do it again. Yeah. Because if Joe Biden wants to get reelected with a majority that is sufficient for him, but also sufficient to give him a House and a Senate so that he can govern, not as a lame duck, but as a as an effective, powerful president in a second term. He's got a bump turnout dramatically among young people. There are issues that excite young voters right now. Uh, abortion rights is one of them. Uh, right. Climate is another one. Uh, even student debt stuff, although it's always important to remember that student debt issues tend to be not against, not oriented toward the youngest workers or youngest voters, but somewhat older voters who but, vote in greater numbers. Exactly. But climate and 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 certainly, you know, some of these other issues, these matter a lot. But I'll tell you something. You want to bump turnout dramatically among young voters. Have Joe Biden say if he is reelected with the Democratic House and Senate. The goal of his second term will be to double union membership in the United States wow. to make it possible for anyone to organize a union anywhere in this country where they wanted to do it. And if they've got to get rid of the filibuster rules in the Senate to do it, they will. They will pass the PRO Act. They will staff up the NLRB. They will make the Labor Department functional. And he will do what Roosevelt did in four years, which is you know, dramatically increase union membership in this country. If he says that, you look at the polling data on young people in unions, 88% of young people across the board, all but 12% of young people. And that's that 12% is, you know, it's hard to even measure who they are, right? But basically all young people want strong unions. They yes. want this ability to organize because they see where the economy is. If Biden runs on that, shows up on those picket lines, does what, what, uh, what he should do, I can tell you this right now, uh, it'll be the most critical move he makes as regards his own re-election. I completely agree with you, and I would love to see that. Although just speculating, I can already imagine the DNC clutching their chest in horror over the corporate donations that that would sacrifice. I mean, that's really what's holding a lot of Democrats back, I think. No, look, he he, Biden flew to California this week, not to join SAG-AFTRA on the line, but to do fundraisers. 
Well, he can do it now that Writers Guild is done, right? Like he's been avoiding fundraising of California for most of the uh, the season because of that. But the bottom line is, you know, he could have gone to the SAG after. He could also go with the uh, hotel workers in L.A. That would be uh, he great. Could to Las Vegas and and you know showing solidarity with the culinary workers who maybe going on strike. He could do a lot more. I understand, and I even you know politically from a political standpoint, I respect a certain measure of caution. And I'll tell you why. You don't want to solely be identified as a president who's always running out to a picket line, right? You want to have it be a special thing. You want to have it have real meaning when you do it. But yeah. with that slight proviso, I would say if he was doing it on a pretty regular basis, right? If it was something that, you know, probably every couple of weeks, once a month, you saw the president show up on a picket line. It would be transformational. I mean, transformational. I kept saying Hillary Clinton needed to show up at, at you know, Me Too marches. And, and um, oh, yeah. I, you know, it's like, go ahead and let's see you get your hands dirty. Show us that you're one of yeah. us and let Donald Trump flail around in a non-union house trying mm -hmm. to have a false equivalency. And in Trump's defense... Boy, the mainstream media sure helped him, John. The New York Times oh, yeah, had to correct themselves. New York Times, I began the show with a rant about this, saying that he scheduled a primetime speech at an auto parts manufacturer. And there was so much outcry from Times readers, they had to go back and include that it was a non-union house. Yeah, I mean, this is the important thing to understand. Our media, and Bobby Chesney have written books about this, in, in 1940 in the United States, at, at sort of the peak of, of you know union organizing, uh, Sadly, it's 80 years ago since we were at that peak. But at that point, where literally like barbers were organizing, right? Everybody was organizing. Um, you had about a thousand labor reporters in the United States. Virtually every major newspaper had not just one, but sometimes several labor reporters. Radio stations had them. I mean, labor reporting was a beat that was everywhere in this country. There was no state that didn't have multiple labor reporters. Some yeah. cities, New York, L.A., had you, know, you, you have a hard time counting them, right? Uh, so labor was covered. That is no longer the case. We have a wonderful crew of young labor reporters coming in, people, uh, Sarah Jaffe and others, who are just doing fabulous work and, and more power to them. But the fact is that our major media outlets don't know how, how to cover labor. They, no, they, you're right. They, they let that muscle atrophy. But, but, that, but John, this is the greatest argument against the whole myth of a liberal media. We can say yeah. the media is as liberal as the corporations that own them. But I always ask, yep. how many times on CNN and MSNBC do you see organized labor? I go to the Labor Day parade every year. I've never seen a media crew filming it. Of course, no. corporate yeah. media doesn't want to cover labor any more than they want to cover climate, any more than they want to have a, an anti-war protester on when they're interviewing retired generals when we're on the eve of bombing a, 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 another country overseas. You're exactly right, John. But I got even worse news for you. Because let's Good. be depressing. Let's be <laughs> really me. depressing today. All right, hit me. Go I, ahead. Go, go ahead, Ingmar Bergman. Hit me. <laughs> there you go. I wish it was just corporate, you know, scheming not to cover labor. It's gotten so bad in media. They have neglected labor for so long. Even outlets that that for their own good should be covering labor well and, and consistently. Don't do it, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, there's been such a decay and such a, a dismissal of labor for so long that media has turned organized labor into a special interest group, right? They treat it like yeah, true. some sort of quirky little thing rather than the most effective counter to corporate power in this country, yeah. right? The essential counter to corporate power. And we 
have a lot of work to do in that area. Look, it's it's a desperate struggle. I will say very happily that this week I've done multiple appearances on MSNBC about the UAW strike and they've been good appearances. You know what I mean? It's It's been good conversations. So it can happen. But to give you a comparison, when McChesney and I looked at the history of labor reporting in this country, it, it used to be there wasn't a day that didn't have labor union issues, labor union issues, not business issues as it relates to unions, but unions on the front pages of right. every daily newspaper in the country. Right. Exactly right. That's how it used to be. And you know what happens when you cover me labor a lot, not just when they're on strike, but when they're organizing, when all these things are happening, when you really seriously cover it, you know what happens? People start to think, oh, maybe I should be in a union. And yeah. the, that has a huge impact on, on you know, just the, the opening up to this possibility. So this is a critical time. Uh, I don't want to be too depressing. I do want to say I think the UAW has gotten more attention to Amen. the labor movement, and this has been very positive. But what Trump did on Wednesday in Detroit was absurd, right? It was or in Tell actually, me. Clinton Township. I think I was more vulgar and obscene than absurd, but I'll, I'll accept your adjective. Go, go ahead. Let's unpack it. Well, here's yeah, I like the vulgar and obscene. Those are good words. But but here's what's absurd about it. Right. It, it is so easy to recognize the falsehood here. Right. This is not hard. This is a non-union plant. And he wasn't meeting with auto workers, at least not with auto union workers, with members That's of the right. UAW. There may have been a few UAW people in the room. As in the Detroit area, you can. there's not a room that doesn't have a few UAW people in it. But the dominant group of people there was non-union folks. These were Trump supporters. That's and then right. Some handed signs. They were handed signs that said union members for Trump as they entered the venue. And signs that said auto workers for Trump. And yep. to the immense credit of the Detroit News, their reporter on the ground asked people who were holding the signs, are you a union member? And the people holding the universe said, uh, no. They said, are you an auto worker? No. And and that was really important reporting, just baseline yeah. reporting to, to clarify that. But here's the other thing. You didn't have to ask, actually. If you know anything about organized labor, what you know is that if you've been at any kind of rally where there's union people there, they don't ever care, hold signs that say union members for this or auto workers <laughs> for this. Yes, they hold exactly. signs with the name of their union. Right. It's UAW with the logo or painters with the logo or firefighters with the logo. Exactly. You know, this was such a bogus. It was blacks for Trump, John. It was blacks for Trump. And they hand the signs out to anybody of any color as they walk into the rally. And the tragedy of it was, was that, you know, then you you get these images and and it's pushed out. And this this sense that somehow Trump is speaking to to UAW members. He wasn't what he was doing was, I mean, maybe it's fairness, he might have been trying to communicate to UAW members who were not in the room. But what he was really trying to do was drive a wedge between the union leadership at a critical stage in the midst of a strike and the membership, right? And he was saying, your strike's not going to go anywhere. You may get some things in a contract, but your plants are all going to be closed in two years because um, electric vehicles are going to wipe out everything. Now, that's yep, a, that's, his, that's his lie. It's a lie. Uh, it goes against the reality of what the, the companies, the unions, the members all are working toward, which is modernization of this industry and doing it in a union setting. That's what this strike does deal with. Um, but the, the other thing about it is that that it was the typical billionaire approach, right? Because his his line was, 
you know, yeah, nothing's really going to come of your strike. What you need to do is get your leadership to endorse Trump because then he said, he literally said, then they can take a vacation and I'll That's deal it. with it. That's it. This is a, a billionaire CEO saying, give me the power over your economic future and I'll take care of everything. Well, the only thing I've got to say in response to that is, look at what Trump did in 2016 to the workers in Lordstown, Ohio. He said, don't sell your homes. Don't give up. I'm going to save your auto plant, one of the largest auto plants in the United States. And what That's happened right. during Trump's presidency in 2019? That plant closed. Boom. Mm. John, I, we've only got a minute left, but I understand your next piece for the nation is going to be about today's uh, empty Republican theater presentation on the impeachment inquiry. Oh, my gosh. That, if, if people didn't watch that, that is that that rivaled the Trump event in, in yeah. Clinton Township, Michigan. This was it was fat. You, you couldn't have choreographed this more wildly. Literally, um, they brought in a panel of, you know, kind of an opening panel. And that's kind of where you, in, in an impeachment inquiry, I wrote a book about impeachment. In an impeachment right. inquiry, the, the opening panels where you lay out the fundamental reasons, you make the case for the legitimacy of what you're doing. And so that panel's up there. And what did the, the experts say? <laughs> Several of them said, we know, uh, we can see no credible evidence for articles of impeachment at this point. This is Jonathan Turley saying this. Now, they, yes. they were on the side of the committee leadership, so they were saying, well, you know, something may come of this. But you don't launch an impeachment inquiry on the basis of something might come up, right? It was, it was a wildly discordant and bizarre session. And, and frankly, I, I, as I suggested in the piece, it'll come out tomorrow, this was the most cringeworthy opening of an impeachment in the history of the United States. Completely agree. Oh, it's going to be really interesting watching how they try to make something of this and what they'll use this to distract from, like a government yeah. shutdown this yeah. weekend, God forbid. John, thank you so much for joining us once again. You are a hero. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you, sir, and keep up with all your doings? Well, it's nation.com. It's pretty easy. Uh, I write also for the Cap Times in, in Madison and for a lot of other publications. And sometimes I even appear on Sirius XM Radio with John Fulgerson. And we are so grateful to you for it. Thank you so much. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
you know, the good news is California Governor Gavin Newsom just signed a law that's going to raise pay for fast food workers to $20 an hour in the state of California starting this coming April. The bad news is uh, Carrie Lake says she'll announce a run for the U.S. Senate next month, which means a three-way race between right-wing Carrie Lake and right-wing pretending to be moderate Kirsten Sinema and Democratic Representative Ruben Gallego. This increases the chances of a Republican or Republican light returning to the Senate. And, you know, guys, I don't always launch impeachment inquiries without a House vote with no direct evidence of wrongdoing and against the backdrop of an imminent government shutdown. But when I do, I do it on TV to humiliate myself. Are we really excited for our panel? Before we do, I want to get a, a question or two really quick, if we could. Elizabeth in Texas, thank you for waiting on hold. You're on Sirius XM. Hey, Jim. How are you? Very good. How are you this evening? Uh, I'm fine. Um, the difference between fake and anti uh, yes. I know you're having a Christian person uh, here. Um, we have two great authors the, joining us, but you're talking about the difference between fake yeah, Christians and anti-Christians, right? That's what you mean? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I've called repeatedly and say, you need to go after these people more. It's not just not what they're doing and not, not, not. You need to talk about what they're doing, that they're actually following the Satan way. Yeah. And... When you say, oh, they're fake Christians. So put those two words in another context. Say union. Okay. So if you're fake union or you're anti-union, you know, the fake union or or even like vegetarian. Say you're a fake vegetarian versus an anti-vegetarian. You know, you're fake. You you pretend to be. It's a fair point. I mean, if they're Uh, legislating against the teachings of Jesus, I think it's a very fair point. These folks would claim that they are Christian because they worship Jesus. I would claim that their Christianity is fraudulent because they vote against and legislate against what's actually taught in the Gospels. I know, but you need to use. Oh, excuse me. I hate to be so combative. No, it's okay. Uh, I would say that what I would do is Please. use the word anti more. It's not only that they're like sitting on the by sides and saying, oh, wow, you're doing this. My, you know, and sitting, you know, like most of us and just kind of watching the scene go by. They're actually working against principles. Yes. And that's why I would say, you know, all the lying, all the everything that they're doing. I mean, they are actively working Christian. So I'm with you. How about this? What if I what if I call them? What if I call them anti-gospel? Because, again, they'll say they're pro-Jesus because they worship him and they wave him around like a prop they own. But if I say they're anti-gospel, I'm calling out the fact that they're legislating and voting against the teachings in the book they pretend to follow. Would that be a a reasonable compromise? But but I see I see a fear in you. You don't want to say anti-Christian because it is anti-Christ. And what that is, it's like people in weird robes doing like ceremonies. No, 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 no. The reason, no, no, there we disagree. It's believe me, it's not a fear. I've I've debated Jerry Falwell to his face. I debated David Duke on Bill Maher about these things. But but fake fake is too mild. Okay. 
is okay. better. Any, well, but, but again, uh, again, you can make the argument. I increasingly have to make the argument that I think that I don't know what the word Christian means anymore. A lot of my atheist friends say to me to not call them fake Christians because my atheist friends say, no, John, they really are Christians. This really is what Christianity is right now. They are the real deal. And at times I think we need well, to distinguish. Hang on, hang on. At times I think we need to distinguish between two terms, Christian and Christ follower, because the loudest Christians out there are the ones who don't actually follow the teachings of this particular Nazarene. Would you agree with that? I know. So, as I've said, what do they follow? And they don't. Well, they follow what they think he taught. They follow they, what they believe he no, taught. But 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 do they pretend to welcome the stranger? No, do they, they don't pretend. To do all this other thing. No, they are actually working against all these Christ principles. I agree with you. Therefore, they are not fake. They are not bystanders pretending to love the neighbors, pretending to love the the, uh, immigrants, pretending to love the poor. No, they Um, are not pretending to do anything. They are actively against these things. They are anti. I understand your point. You know what I always say? You know what I always say? I say, I say Trump's not the antichrist, but Christ is the anti-Trump. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, (laughs) That line kills in the clubs. All right. Thank you. Well, I can think of no anti. I I got the message. I thank you. Let me ask my guests about that because they're both smarter in theological matters than me. I'm so pleased to welcome these two gentlemen because we've been seeing such a rise in Christian nationalism. And I keep saying we have to have more panels about this. You know, what is the difference between a Christian nationalist and a fundamentalist and a revoltingly false Christian. I mean, we just saw this article that the Republican Party voted on who they think is the top person of faith in the entire party. And we talked about this a few nights ago, but 53% of Republicans surveyed said that they think Donald Trump is a person of great faith. That's more than Pence. That's more than Romney. And the only thing they have in common is neither of those three guys have actually spent any time fighting for anything Jesus ever talked about. We live in a time when welcome the stranger, Jesus's only command about borders and immigration, has somehow mutated into put barbed wire in the Rio Grande River. So I'm so pleased to welcome to our show a couple of true experts and theologians on this regard. Keith Giles has been with us before. He's a former pastor. He left the pulpit over a decade ago to follow Jesus. And he's written some terrific books, including Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. He is it's so nice to have you with us. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for inspiring me with my crude little vulgar vaudeville act. You guys are the real deal and you're much more learned than me about matters of scripture. So let me ask, um, have our conservative Christians just never actually read the Jesus parts? This hobby of mine is to ask right wing folk all the time to cite one teaching of Jesus the Republican Party fights for or tries to legislate. Just one. And I've never, ever had a real answer. I mean, that tells me a lot about how much of the Gospels they've really read versus what they pretend is in there. What do you make of this survey that the majority of Republicans think that Trump is the greatest Christian in their party? Well, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in that poll. There has to be. And that and that idea says that the more you more truth that somebody hears 
that pushes against their views, the more deeply entrenched that they're going to get into those wrong views. So yes. any anyone with a rudimentary understanding of the words in red in the Bible could cross-reference that with basically any statement that Donald Trump has made. And the man shits in a golden toilet. So, you know, <laughs> right away, we're not seeing Jesus in a man that shits in a golden toilet. Correct. So Correct. I, I would say that there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and that it just highlights that Trump just hits their high notes. And what are their high notes? Bigotry, xenophobia, anti-LGBTQIA, mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. That's yeah. it. I mean, Keith, to underscore that point, Donald Trump keeps showing up and bragging about how much I've done for Christians. And it's always oh, the same things. I, I got Roe v. Wade overturned. You know, abortion is now not a protected by the government anymore federally. Uh, moved the uh, the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and uh, tried to keep immigrants out. These are the top three things right-wing Christians tell me Donald Trump did in service of the teachings of Jesus. And as you well know, Jesus never mentioned abortion, commanded us to welcome the stranger, and never quite weighed in on his opinion of where the American embassy should be since it was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I mean, you you actually hit the nail on the head earlier when in the, when the, the previous caller, like there there is a radical divide between Christianity or the word Christian and Christ-like. And, and this is very obvious, right? When you see polls like this and things, other things going on in the news, um, here's what I think has happened. I think evangelical Christians... Um, they're, it's like they've been hypnotized, right? They're they're just totally duped, and and I think they're mostly drunk on power because I mean Trump is right in one sense. He has been the evangel the political evangelical Christians, um, you know, the theocracy minded kind of Christian nationalist. Well, yeah, he's been great for them, um, and so this thing about I don't think it's so much that they're literally saying that they actually believe that that Trump is. Uh, a great Christian. I think it's more like an MVP award. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you, you've done great stuff. You've given us power. You've done these things that we we want to do politically and ideologically. Um, they're not, I don't think they think he prays. You know, no one's ever asked him to lead in prayer. I would love to see that. No. Would you lead us in a word of prayer? That would be but hilarious. Again, but again, but, but they oh believe he's good for Christians. They believe he's good for Jesus's unauthorized fan clubs. That's <laughs> yes. not the same as saying he obeys or follows any of the teachings of, yes. of Jesus. But see, I think they misunderstand the question, right? They don't understand. Like what I hear that question, if you ask me, you know, who's a, who's someone, you know, who's a great uh, Christian, I think, well, who's more Christ-like? Who's the, the Christ-like person, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bernie exactly. Sanders, another Jew. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie, Bernie Sanders, exactly. Um, someone who stands up for the little guy, who stands up for the marginalized, who cares about the people on the bottom, which like Jesus did, right? And so okay. again, it's like evangelical Christians, national Christian nationalists, like, um, they believe that Trump is the best way for them to gain political power. But what That's they don't it. understand, what they don't realize is that all Trump cares about is how he can get his own political power. And he does that by manipulating them. And they fall for it every time. OK, but then let me follow up on that. Is it that they're brainwashed or is it that they're groomed to not no. actually follow the inconveniently liberal teachings of this Jewish mystic revolutionary. I yeah, mean, it helps I, that they've I, not I been following them, Jesus for a long time. <laughs> right. I, I always say, look, Jesus actually opposed the death penalty. Where did he ever oppose abortion? And they'll say he did not oppose it. Where do you oppose it? I'm like, the Sermon on the Mount. Have you read it? They overturned no. eye for an eye. But these are the folks who always fight to have the Ten Commandments put up in buildings. 
Yeah. Never the Sermon on the Mount. Never. Not once. No. No. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that underscores the problem, right? There's a lack of, there's a whole lot less Jesus in uh, their, their version of Christianity. And I think that's part of the problem. Well, let me let me ask Dylan about your book, Theological Musings, Volume One, which I highly recommend. Um, my my God, you're a lovely writer, and and your Thank your you. spirituality and your common sense go hand in hand, which is very refreshing. I, I want to ask you. I mean, when we're taking on Christian nationalism or fundamentalism, is there a difference between those two terms? How how do you define Christian nationalism, and and why is it a problem, and why is it not altogether Christian? Well, it's interesting. I just started reading Taking America Back for God, uh, which is kind of like a textbook on Christian nationalism. And one of the interesting things that I learned early on in the book is that about almost 20 percent of evangelicals are rejectors of Christian nationalism. So while there's an amazing amount of overlap between Christian nationalism and fundamentalism, it's not completely monolithic. And I'm going to throw out a really fancy theological term that I created to discuss fundamentalism, and that's fundamentalist fuckwittery. And that (laughs) fundamentalist, I'm sorry, fundamentalist fuckwittery? Yes. Okay. Uh, You'll find that in all the theological textbooks. I'm uh, writing it down right now. Yes. So let it be be written. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of fundamentalist fuckwittery goes back to slaveholder religion. Boom. A lot of people. A lot of people don't realize that the largest Protestant denomination in the United States was started by the slave, the enslavers. And uh, Richard Furman said that the golden rule as espoused in Christianity, which Jesus said is the whole Hebrew Bible. Everything you do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And John Furman said, that's not a teaching that delegitimizes the enslavement of Africans because white people are the greatest. Mm. And so they, they split off and created the Southern Baptist convention. So there's a lot of fundamentalism that is just straight up fucked up. And they care more about the fact that I just used an F bomb than they care about Greg Abbott putting concertina wire in the goddamn Rio Grande river. Yeah. And I grew up in Texas. Yeah. And I, that man infuriates me. Um, so, but Christian nationalism has this really crazy idea that is completely ahistorical that the United States was created as a Christian nation. Correct. And with slaves, with slaves. Yes, with, from the beginning. With slaves. Yeah. Yeah. And historian Alan Taylor points out in one of his really great books that the continental, uh, the uh, constitutional group that got together the right to constitution they were so bent on having a secular document that they wouldn't even let chaplains in the room. Mm-hmm. And then in the wow. Treaty of Tripoli, it was written and it says, we are not a Christian nation. That's not what this is about. That's right. right. So Christian nationalism is a theocratic movement. We have this wackadoodle state senator here, Doug Mastriano, that ran for governor last year in Pennsylvania. And thank whatever God you pray to that that lunatic didn't get elected. That's right. And they want to create a theocratic state. And most of Christian nationalism is about controlling other people's behavior. That's it. I can't see anything in the Gospels that talks about controlling other people's behavior. It's all about controlling your own behavior. That's it. And when Jesus was offered the chance to take power, he rejected it. 
But these people think, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna overturn what Jesus did, and we're not gonna shake the dust off our feet when people hear our nationalistic message. You're so right. we're just going to foist it on them. When Jesus said, no, if they don't want to hear it, go to the next town. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next yeah. town. I mean, yeah. they want Christian values, but they reject the values of Christ. Christian yeah. means their club. It doesn't necessarily mean the guy our club is named after. I say this all the time to, to my atheist friends who say, oh, no, they're they're true Christians. I'm like, no, if you're if you call yourself a, a Rolling Stones cover band, OK, and you bill yourself as a Rolling Stones cover band. But the only songs you learn are by Vanilla Ice and Nickelback. Yes. Find oh, a new name for your group because you That's are right. not the group you claim publicly to be. I and, right. and I mean, Keith will never know how much this country was damaged by illustrated Bibles in the 1800s that began having a white blonde Jesus. That to me was where this country yes. really hit its first brick wall. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then like, like Dylan is saying, you know, uh, America is not a Christian nation. And I, I've run into Christians that believe this. I've, I've heard people, uh, you know, have made whole careers on publishing uh, books and DVD sets and, you know, online courses about proving sure. we were a Christian nation and all this stuff. And it's absolute fiction. It's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. And when you have this whole movement based on an absolute fantasy, then, you know, everything else they believe, it gets, it's, it is just built on nonsense. America yeah. is not a Christian nation. We never have been. And again, not, not only are we not Christian in the sense of we weren't established under the Christian faith, it's also that, again, taking that word Christian to mean Christ-like, at what yes. point at any time were, did anyone behave like a follower of Christ when they were killing the Native Americans, when they were, you know, you know using people as property? You know, it, never, at, at no point have we ever as a nation behaved right. like Christ. And again, to me, it speaks to a lack of faith. They don't have the confidence that real faith brings. I always say this whenever someone thinks they see the, the Virgin Mary, you know, in a bowl of oatmeal, and there'll be these zealots flocking and praying on a lawn, and the media will say, thousands of faithful have gathered here to see the Virgin Mary in a bowl of oatmeal. And I'm like, no, they're not faithful. They want proof. These are people who don't have faith. These are people who require evidence to believe what they pretend to believe. If you actually believe in the Virgin Mary, why do you need to show up to see your face in a bowl of damn oatmeal, for God's sakes? Gentlemen, we have to take a quick break. Can you stay with us after the break? Because I have sure. many, many questions. Absolutely. All right. Back into our number, if you'd like to join the conversation, is 866-997-GRIT. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
A federal judge has struck down this new Texas law that would have effectively banned drag performances, saying it was unconstitutional. This comes a month after the judge used a temporary injunction the day before the law was set to take effect, writing that it restricts freedom of speech. Sorry, Texas Republicans, freedom of speech even applies to guys in dresses that make you feel confused. Also, on top of this, go Montana. A Montana district court judge has just given a small victory to LBGTQ communities, temporarily blocking that state's ban on gender-affirming care for transgender kids. Judge Jason Marks made this choice yesterday, four days before that law was going to go into effect. And Judge Marks said the law was probably unconstitutional because it would damage the physical and mental health of minors who experience gender dysphoria, and gender dysphoria is a real thing, kids. Talk to a doctor, not a Republican, about this. Judge Marks rejected the arguments from the band's proponents, who said they're just trying to protect kids from experimental treatments. And he, you know, they they, they even cited a a pre-existing Montana law saying that all patients have the right to consent to experimental treatments if they are recommended by a healthcare professional. Judge Marks finished up by saying that the law was most likely designed to ban an outcome deemed undesirable, by the Montana legislatures, veiled as protection for minors. I mean, this temporary block is only for the time being, but it could be effective until a full trial. The State Department of Justice, which hates transgender children more than they love the Constitution, they are going to appeal it. Because, of course. And again, tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow day, I'm on TV all day, guys. Uh, it's going to be crazy. We will have a live show tomorrow night with Senator Gustavo Rivera, representing the Bronx and the New York State Legislature, the man who I hope will be the first Puerto Rican elected president. In the meantime, I'll see you tomorrow morning on The Stephanie Miller Show on uh, Free Speech TV. I'll see you tomorrow evening on Dan Abrams on News Nation. And then, hey, I'll be doing Stephanie Rule on MSNBC while I'm doing this. I'll be competing with myself. I hope you guys are great. Thank you so much to all of our guests. Thank you, Thea Harper, for another edition of The Minority Report. Uh, Thanks to to Dylan and Keith for a terrific progressive Christianity panel. Really appreciate that. And, um, of course, uh, going way back to hour number one, thanks to the great John Nichols of The Nation. I have tweeted out his wonderful article about Donald Trump's phony rally in Michigan. Guys, thank you so much. Keep it tuned to Progress All Day. Thank you, Chris and Thea, for being the best production team in the game. We will see you again tomorrow. Peace. Don't work